Welcome to the Report Card with Nat Malkus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. If you couldn't tell, I am not Nat Malkus. I'm Matt Rice, one of the producers of the Report Card, filling in for Nat as the guest host of this episode. Nat will be joining us today from the other side of the interview table. Schooling has been at the center of some of the most enduring debates in American history, from curricular fights over evolution to constitutional issues such as prayer in public schools. After a tumultuous year of disputes around masking, vaccines, and remote learning, it can seem like Americans are more divided on schooling than ever before. But is that actually true? Are Americans divided on schools' responses to COVID, curriculum, and all the rest? To answer these questions, I'm putting Nat in the hot seat for today's episode. But he isn't alone. Joining him is Dan Cox, a senior fellow in polling and public opinion and the director of the Survey Center on American Life here at AEI. Just yesterday, Dan and Nat published a report on the August 2021 American Perspective Survey, which polled over 2,000 American adults on some of today's most contentious issues in education. The report is titled Controversy and Consensus, Perspectives on Race, Religion, and COVID-19 in Public Schools. Nat, Dan, welcome to the report card. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So there is so much to cover in this report, too much, in fact, for one podcast episode. So to keep this episode from running too long, I want to start by asking each of you to pinpoint the three findings in the report that struck you the most in 10 words or less. Nat, we're going to start with you. Uh, thanks, Matt, and thanks for having me. Um, anytime, anytime. Yeah, the report is just jam-packed with findings, and it's hard to to glean all of them in a podcast. I'll say, you know, some of the top three. I spent the last year tracking which school districts were open in the nation, which ones were closed. So the strong support uh, uh, among the public, but particularly among parents, for in-person learning this fall, fascinating. Uh, you know, a, a second to that is the general support for masking and vaccine requirements sort of across the board. Pretty strong support, though there's some pretty pronounced divides sort of hiding beneath those majorities. And then the last thing is uh, on the APS, we asked a lot about, you know, quote, controversial topics. And many of those that I had long pegged as controversial, at least in today's day and age, don't poll quite as controversial as I would have expected. Dan, what are what are your three? Again, this is a, a tough question for a report was supposed to be half the length it ended up being. So there was a lot that we ended up getting into that we originally think thought was a big, okay, it's gonna be sort of the simple, we're gonna see partisan divisions here, and then that's you know, an open and closed case here. But really we we saw a lot of nuance in the findings, and and I think it's sort of emblematic of how we describe this report, like controversy and consensus, and some important questions, particularly how students should engage and what they should learn about America's complicated racial legacy. We saw a lot of agreement across racial groups, across uh, political groups, but on some of the sort of newer uh, issues, whether it's like white privilege, you know, featuring sort of political groups and like displaying like Black Lives Matter banners at, at schools, we, we there was a lot more contention around those issues. So I think that it's this, it's this interesting combination of on some issues, some longstanding issues, whether it's religion, race, and what, what people should learn in classrooms, that we did, we, we are seeing a kind of consensus emerge. Um, but there's still some real 
considerable heat around some of these other issues. You start your report by talking about COVID and schooling. And Nat, you mentioned this a, a moment ago. You know, perhaps the most pressing first order question in this domain is whether kids should be learning in classrooms, learning from home, or doing a mix of the two. So Nat, where does the country stand on in-person learning? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to, to look at, and I'll speak from my sort of research hat, is last year, a lot of schools were closed for a lot of the year. And this year, we are just in a totally different space, even though COVID continues to be a major factor in all these uh, decisions. But, you know, the vast majority of school systems are open full-time in person, and the vast majority of students are in them full-time in person. And, uh, you know, the support among the public sort of mirrors that. So especially among parents, we found, you know, more than seven in 10 parents favored for their kids being in person. So that's a pretty strong majority. And we we saw still majority support for non-parents or parents of non-school age children, to be specific, at just over 52 percent. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like pretty strong support for getting kids back in front of teachers in school buildings. Were there any surprising divides when you looked at the results for support among parents for in-person learning? So there's there's some that are, are particularly interesting. So uh, parents are a little more supportive of in-person learning. And maybe that's just because a lot of parents, you know, had to do the actual work of uh, taking care of kids when they weren't on in-person learning. I think Dan probably has something to say about uh, that, and I I do as well. So yeah, there was a a, a higher drive to get back in person for parents. For non-parents, we see this real serious partisan split. So I think the percentages for uh, Republicans were 82% of parents wanted to be in person compared to 72% of Republican non-parents. So that's like a 10-point split. Among Democratic parents, uh, 66% wanted in-person schooling, still pretty healthy majority, uh, but that dropped to 36% among Democrats who don't have school-aged children. And, and that's a major gulf that shows you know, a particular difference among Democrats between parents and non-parents. You know, the other thing that I noted in there was that folks that were vaccinated, and we measured this in households where everyone in the household was vaccinated versus being in households that were partially vaccinated or where no one was vaccinated. And an interesting pattern here is that the parents in households that were fully vaccinated were actually a little less interested in having their kids going back, whereas kids in households where everybody who was eligible was vaccinated was relatively higher, which is one of those patterns that we would kind of expect the reverse, except for, you know, all the evidence we've seen to date, I suppose. It sounds like there are some divides among demographics on this question of in-person learning, but across the board, Americans are generally supportive of kids learning in classrooms this year. When we're thinking about kids returning to schools, you you have to think about the mitigation strategies that schools are going to use to keep kids safe. Dan, what did your survey find when it comes to American support for things like mask mandates or vaccine mandates in, in schools? Well, you know, this we're not breaking entirely new ground here. We asked questions about, you know, whether 
mask mandate should be required, um, even for students who are vaccinated, and then whether students, all eligible students to be vaccinated should be vaccinated. And consistent with a lot of other polling that has showed that these uh, mitigation strategies generally have a, a robust support. We found the same that um, among Americans overall, we saw you know pretty high numbers of support for for both these policies. I think what's interesting is that you, among parents, you actually see lower levels of support for these things than in the public overall. And and again, you know, Nat alluded to this that we do see this kind of experiential divide, particularly among Democrats, where Democratic parents and non-parents have pretty different ideas about some of these things. And I think it's based on the experience of having children navigating the, the, the challenges of, you know, engaging with public schools or, you know, you know during COVID having to, to, to carry the load a lot for this stuff. So one of the questions I thought was really interesting, we asked a whole battery of, around who should be making decisions around public education, what students should be taught, how they should be taught. And we include a whole host of options, Congress, state legislators, principals, teachers, the students themselves, and parents. And overall, we found a pretty significant agreement among Democrats and Republicans than what they want legislators out. They don't, they don't want legislators making decisions, but there was some significant partisan disagreement whether teachers should have the final say or parents. Uh, Republicans more likely to say parents should be playing a larger role. Democrats um, more likely to say teachers. But that's a little bit different among Democratic parents who do see and do want a larger role for parents. It's it's the the non-parent Democrats who are really all in on on having teachers having the last say on on some of these decisions. And there's really not a huge gap between Republican and Democratic parents. The the big partisan gap is among non-parents. Got it. So I want to return to this question of. COVID mitigation in schools. Uh, it sounds like there's some divides among parents on this question of vaccine mandates. Your report asked parents about vaccines generally, so not just COVID-19 vaccines, but uh, you know whether they support routine childhood vaccinations for things like chickenpox or MMR. What did you find there? So, yeah. So one of the, I think, the real dispiriting aspects of, of running a poll around COVID-19 and, and, and vaccinations and, and vaccinations in public schools is that we do see, you know, these really large partisan divisions that people are really sort of seemingly entrenched in their beliefs. And I think it's become kind of an identity uh, where, you know, not getting vaccinated is, is about your identity. To be vaccinated means to be sort of saying, hey, you know, that these federal officials and these doctors are, you know, are telling me how to live my life and telling me how to make these really intimate personal decisions. And that, you know, is is really tough. I mean, I, I think there's sort of larger structural factors at play and why that's happening. But I think one of the bright notes of this report is that we don't see the same kind of partisanship infecting views about childhood vaccines generally, that, that Republicans and Democrats are pretty on board with the idea that it's okay to require children to be vaccinated for these kinds of childhood illnesses. And it's it's the COVID-19 vaccine that really engenders the, the partisan rifts that we're seeing. And so that to me, that's, you know, I, I read in that kind of a hopeful sign, maybe Nat, you disagree, this take that we can get to a place where COVID-19, if it's going to stick around, which it seems like it's going to do, can become less controversial. It can become like these other childhood vaccines that, that we require. 
and, and, and we can sort of get beyond some of this really, really sort of stark political differences that are, are animating a lot of our, um, our public health right now. Yeah, if you zoom out a little bit and just sort of squint at all the things that we see in the, the many different questions we ask, you, you know, you see some differences between parents and so forth. But one of the things that I think we see on a lot of things is that the older controversies, not really as much division over. It's like the new things. It's the news of the day. It's the current issues that you see on, you know, whatever your polarizing media landscape of choice is that that's where we see more division. Uh, it, it is interesting that, you know, when you look at some of the partisan divides over COVID, you see those somewhat reflected in just the, the general childhood patterns. And, you know, I can't test this. We can't test this with, with these results very well. But it almost seems as though the controversy currently over COVID vaccines maybe actually infecting opinions about just general childhood vaccines where some partisan elements are like yeah you know I'm not I'm not so sure about those those vaccines that we I've been giving to my my kids routinely for a dozen years so far I'm not quite so sure about those after, after all I do think it's a really interesting question is you know when this pandemic moves to an endemic state where we know that covid's going to be around covid's going to be a threat that we have to deal with I'm not equating it to the flu. I'm just saying that at some point we realize the flu is going to be around. So we try and use flu vaccines. They are normalized. And I think that sometime in the future, we can hope that that those vaccination rates, which are, are, are going to kind of get us out of this pandemic closer to that endemic, that the childhood vaccinations can be a, a part of that. The question is, when will that public opinion yield and will it yield before the pandemic's over or will it have to sort of end? And then the uh, sort of making things customary to get COVID vaccines becomes more generally accepted. You know, the listeners can't see me nodding along with everything Nat was saying, but yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in complete agreement there. One of the things that I think is a really interesting uh, kind of thought piece or, or something like a prospect that, you know, we, we should think about, right, with new variants, um, particularly, again, if this isn't endemic, is to what extent can experience override ideology, right? If you look at vaccination rates among seniors, there's not a huge gap between Democrats and Republicans. 80% uh, of Republican seniors are have, have received at least one dose of the vaccine because I think it was very clear from very early on that, that COVID-19 presented a particularly danger, a particular danger to, to seniors, uh, and that made it through the kind of muddled communication that we got from, from the CDC and, and FDA and, and, and through the media. And, and understandably, right, we were sort of like learning as we were going. But I think that that became very clear very early on and it was consistent. And I think it reflected the, the fact that we don't see polarization among seniors the way we do see it among younger folks. Uh, and younger folks are, you know, it was large, the narrative became that, that rightly or wrongly, that it just wasn't that much of a threat. Uh, and one of the things we also learned very early on that has been kind of consistent is that children are not the, the group that is most in danger here. They, they actually tend to be pretty safe, statistically speaking. Now, what would happen, and I think a lot of people have kind of toyed with this idea, scary as it is, if a variant comes along that is more of a threat to children. I, I could see that attitudes like basically shifting on a dime, right? Like that people like have entirely different attitudes around various measures and protocols in, in place. I mean, again, I could be wrong here, 
But I think if this thing starts like to actively threatening children, I think like all bets are off in terms of how people are going to respond in terms of, of their support for quarantines and shutdowns and masks and really aggressive vaccination regimens. I think that, you know, this, the, the idea that it's mostly harmless has kind of become, you know, among a certain segment of folks, this sort of accepted reality, right? That, that COVID really, and again, statistically, it's not, a, you know, a huge number of people that are, are having negative outcomes. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. Another thing I think is, you know, I'm taking us a little farther afield, but I would I would love to get Nat's thought on this because I've been noodling on it a little bit myself, is to what extent people realize how terrible the, you know, when you get a bad case of COVID, how terrible it is. It, it was a long time into, into the pandemic that I really started reading on these accounts of from, from nurses and doctors that just sort of saying, hey, and people themselves were sort of like relaying their symptoms and their experiences in hospitals how horrific it really is, whether that would have any kind of mitigating effect on, on people's decision-making. I don't know, Nat, if you have any sort of thoughts on, on any of that, but I, I would certainly be interested in it. Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. You know, I, I, I do think sort of like status quo bias uh, as far as where your thinking is, there's a lot of insulation around that. I mean, when we looked, you know, just at the masking questions, we saw some 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 pretty large uh, divisions. But if you just sort of think about the link between vaccinations and and masking opinion, you know, it's 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 backwards. So, you know, in vaccinated households, 72 percent favor universal masking in schools and, uh, you know, just 20 percent or so don't want any mask mandates at all. And in unvaccinated households, it's just it's almost flipped. Sixty three percent say, you know, no masks of any kind. Um, you know, the question is, like, what kind of experiences or understanding could break into that salience to make those requirements, you know, you know seem a little bit more aligned to taking more uh, protections? And, you know, this is a little bit biased. I, I'll put my cards on the table. I think, listeners, you should be vaccinated. So, you know, you should uh, you should take that. Uh, I'm, I'm in support of vaccination. I think it's the fastest and safest way uh, out of this pandemic and to get our kids back in school. So I'll put those on the table. But I but I also think that it'd be hard in just the, the wake of what has happened over the past year where we've seen a, a lot of carnage. And if people still that's not salient enough to change minds. Well, I hope nothing else comes down the pike that does make them change some minds, because, man, that that would be a rough variant. So, I, you know, I, I, I take your point, Dan. There are major holdouts in the country that are just not going to get on board with taking inconvenient steps to fight the pandemic. And there's some through threads there. Yeah. And I think you're right in that, too, that to the extent that this gets wrapped up, not just with your kind of worldview, but your like tribal identity, right? Like that it it becomes a lot, lot different to change your belief about some sort of fact that's being updated than sort of saying, no, I'm I am now. Uh, in disagreement with my tribe over something that's highly salient, and I'm going to get a lot of pushback. One of the things I actually wrote for for 538 not too long ago uh, on this topic of, of vaccinations was trying to get an understanding of well, who are the Republicans who have been vaccinated? Right, we, we know there's huge partisan divisions, um, and one of the things that that we found in earlier research is that if you live in a vaccinated household, you're way more likely. To be vaccinated. Um, if you have friends who are vaccinated, 
you're way more likely. There's a, there's a really powerful, I think, self-reinforcing social mechanism here. Um, now, and, and alternatively, I think if you are in kind of a social context where a lot of your community and a lot of people who you're friends with are not vaccinated for one reason or the other, you have much less of an incentive to do so. I was invited to two weddings uh, over the summer and both required everyone attending to be vaccinated. And that's a very different social environment or social grouping than if I went to uh, you know, a wedding or, any, or a social engagement where people were like, yeah, you know, come as you are. I don't know. We don't really care. So I think like, yeah, that's, that's certainly, I think, you know, part of what's going on too. Your report is titled Controversy and Consensus. And you both hinted at the top of the episode that there is some consensus on surprising topics that we would think would be controversial in education. Before we get into those individual topics, Nat, what qualifies as a controversial topic? What what topics did your report look at? Yeah, well, I mean, what qualifies as a controversial topic is one where a lot of people disagree, right? So that's sort of tautological. But uh, I, I think that what we did was we cast questions that got at sort of classically controversial topics, right? Like religion in schools, right? We've been arguing about that. That's been, you know, in the courts and it's been in public opinion. And uh, Dan can tell you, he's, he's the, the, the poll master here. They've been asking questions on this for, for decades. And so that's one where you sort of expect, yeah, well, there's going to be some controversy on there. We also looked at some that tried to get at what are the, the controversial questions du jour? You know, like what is it that the news primes you to be controversial about and it has laid out these divisions? And so we looked at everything from questions about religion, sharing religion, uh, whether prayer should be in schools. The report talks about things like, I, I shouldn't say iconography, but, you know, you can only say it so often, so I'm going to uh, do it. Just, you know, symbols like Black Lives Matter, banners, uh, you know, a cross or a pride flag, these these loaded symbols and what whether they belong in public schools or not. And then also just controversial topics in the classroom, like, uh, you know, should textbooks contain a photo of a lynching? Is that reasonable? Or should we talk about white privilege in civics classes? So we asked about a wide swath of controversial topics to kind of see which ones were actually controversial topics. Dan, what did you find in that area? Generally, do Americans want teachers to avoid these classically controversial topics? You know, having done any number of polls, you know, typically at, at the end of the day, you, you run it, you have questions that are related on a particular topic. And from that, you can tease out usually, an, you know, a single narrative um, or a couple narratives that that point basically in the same direction. It's, you know, maybe that um, if it's election-based poll, you know, Trump's in trouble. If it's something on, you know, abortion, it's like people are still have problems about abortion, but, you know, there's still a support, a little support, more support for legality or illegality. And for, for this one, it really became difficult to come with a, a, you know, an overarching narrative or conclusion here. And my initial response, which, which Nat rightly corrected, was a little bit, I think, overly optimistic or, or, or perhaps too positive, right? Like, you know, it was, it was a little bit too much of a kumbaya take that, oh, we are actually coming together and we have these deep, deep racial divisions, political divisions, class divisions in, in our society. But here on this, this 
incredibly dicey terrain of, of public schools, we're finding some areas of agreement. But I think that the other side of that is there's still, you know, a lot of, of nuance here in places where we may agree on one aspect of an issue, but not the other, right? And, and a good example is, of this is how public feels about LGBTQ issues in public school. Um, we asked a number of questions about this. Uh, one of the questions was, should uh, transgender people should be allowed to, to teach elementary school? Pretty strong support for that, which is consistent with what you see in other polls. You know, Gallup's been asking about whether gay and lesbian people should be allowed to be elementary teachers, and there's been strong support for that for at least a decade. So that's on one sense, we see that. Um, but when you ask about whether students, like how much priority should it be that students learn about um, LGBTQ identity and experience, it's only about a quarter of the public say this should be uh, really an important subject for students to learn about. Um, again, really strong partisan divisions on that too. When you ask about, uh, as, as Nat mentioned, whether schools should be kind of affirming of LGBTQ people or students through displaying pride flags or, or rainbow banners, again, the public's really mixed. Half say yes, roughly half say says no. So you can't really summarize and sort of say, well, you know, this is where the public is on LGBTQ issues in public schools. It really depends on, on what you're talking about. Uh, another example is whether school libraries should include books that have gay and lesbian characters uh, or stories in them. And again, the public's pretty divided on that point. Americans are a little bit more supportive than not, but parents are, are almost exactly divided on that. So what is the conclusion about where we are on, on this one issue? It really depends what part you're talking about. You know, one really interesting thing here. So, Dan, I'm going to start hunting for consensus here, is that um, 77% of parents said that teachers should address controversial issues. That's an overwhelming majority. That's an overwhelming majority when, you know, not everybody thinks the public schools are doing great. You know, there's, there's pretty strong support for public schools in the area, but there's also what I would call very strong support for, hey, we got to have our kids tackling these controversial issues. I think that's healthy. I think it's good. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of views underneath there about what that means. And it contrasts, interestingly, with a couple of the other things that we found that I think sort of point to kind of maybe where parents are. Okay, so we already said, yeah, they, they are supportive of controversial topics. They're also, you know, um, we have sort of tepid, you know, it's okay to have some religious content in schools. Uh, you know, the opposition to like prayer in schools and sort of the idea that we should have this clear line between the church and state, just not really there in the opinion, but where you see that that discomfort with some of these controversial things are when we asked, hey, uh, parents, do you think that a teacher should share their religious views or atheist views with their students? And we saw pretty pretty strong discomfort with that, I think, across the board. And so you see this distinction here between, well, you know, school should be a place where we deal with controversy and we want to trust our our teachers to do that sort of professionally. But then when you kind of get into the, the one uh, or a couple of places where we talked about, you know, adding this personal dimension, I think we saw more discomfort there. And it did align with respondents own views, you know, more religious respondents were a little bit 
less down with atheists sharing their faith, and, and those who weren't religious were a little bit less comfortable with evangelical teachers sharing, sharing their beliefs in class. But I think that denotes an interesting dynamic in the way that the respondents responded to these controversial topics. Religion and public schools is certainly uh, a, a controversial topic, perhaps the most controversial topic if you look at the history of American schooling. And it's, it's interesting that parents are generally okay with kids learning about religion in public schools and to some extent practicing religion in public schools. It's especially interesting that your survey finds that at a time when church attendance is at an all-time low in America. Dan, I'm wondering, like, do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Yes. Uh, I want to jump uh, on what Nat was mentioning about the controversy, controversy question. I think it's, it's worth exploring that a little bit, then I'll, I'll turn to the religion stuff. So uh, that question is really interesting, right? Um, it came, I think, later in the survey. So, you know, we had already gotten into things that were pretty controversial with the stuff around race, sex ed, evolution, you know. And so I think, I think like it wasn't that we were asking that cold. People had some context to work with. I do think it's kind of the classic example of, you know, there's a lot of support for the principle when it comes to practice, right? So I can, I can support, you know, free expression in, in one sense, but then I not want, you know, Nazis to come into my town to, you know, for a parade. Uh, and so I think there might be some of that with that question, right, where in general, Americans are really supportive of this idea that, you know, we shouldn't shy away from talking about tough issues, even in the public school context, right, where there's, there's much greater sensitivity around that stuff. But at the same token, there, I think if we asked uh, specific controversy about specific controversies, I think we might see some differential response and maybe depending on what we asked about uh, a little bit lower support but still i mean i think it's really notable that that many people within the in the context of this survey were readily you know able to sort of say yeah uh, that that teacher should be addressing that and i think you know for me there i think it suggests and that let me if you feel differently you know definitely weigh in that there's some trust among teachers for for doing their jobs um, and, you know, I feel like there's been so much criticism, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, about how public schools are handling a variety of issues from the left and the right. Uh, but this really, really, you know, to me, suggested that, like, well, on some of these questions, there, there is, is that support. And we actually asked it this in, in the context of sex education. And uh, again, it was a smaller number, but a majority of parents basically said, yeah, they, they thought that the the way that um, they trusted uh, teachers to handle that issue. Uh, so again, like I think that's that's a really interesting part of that. Uh, on the religion question, yeah, I mean, you know, we had to include some stuff on prayer in schools, uh, how people felt about you know learning about different world religions, about feel about the Bible in public schools. And these are all live issues. And one of the interesting things to me was actually how much support for prayer in school there was. We found a majority of Americans supported, and this is down pretty significantly. I think it's down about 15 points from like the, the late 90s. We uh, updated a, a Gallup trend here, but still more people said that they were supportive of prayer in public schools and not. And we, we didn't get into whether this is 
something led by schools or administrators or students. So, you know, there, there was a, some, I think, ambiguity there. Um, but then we asked another question about whether coaches could lead uh, their teams in Christian prayer. And that was really specific. And we, what we found was that even more Americans in this context were supportive. And that to me was really telling. Well, just to put a, a, a different valence on this, we asked sort of a classic set of questions at the beginning of the survey, which which is what you do, right? The first thing, question you ask is, how do you rate American schools? And people usually say, oh, they're not very good. They're not very good. And um, or, or, or that's how it characterize the average response. And then if you ask, how do you like your your neighborhood public schools? They say, oh, well, you know, those they're pretty good. They're different. They're in my public schools and they're a little closer to me. And, and so that's an interesting uh, differentiator. And we've seen that for ages. Like those approval ratings are always higher for the, the closer ones. And I think that you sort of see reflections of that in a lot of these questions, especially what Dan was talking about earlier. But in the, the question about prayer in school, sort of the generic one, and then Christian prayer by the coach as something that's a little bit more identifiable, visceral, like I know that coach, I got a face for it. I would sort of expect a little bit less on the latter. And in, in fact, we found people a little bit more comfortable than that. And it it does make me wonder whether there's actually um, sufficient trust in local public schools and just sort of goodwill there that is a durable foundation. And that is something to me that I sort of see between the lines of a lot of these things that uh, I think is kind of encouraging. And I also see it reflected in some of the things when we ask about particulars. I think that it sort of pulls away from that local valence when you say, well, what about... Um, bans on critical race theory, which we asked about, right? And that's a very political topic, right? All of a sudden, you're moving the respondent out of this sort of like local context and putting them onto the, you know, MSNBC talking head context. And I can, I, I just think that I see a difference in the way that um, plays out in some of these things. And, you know, there's no way to control for these things. There's no statistical controls to put in place. These are, are hard to kind of read meaning into, but I'm reading that meaning into uh, some of what we've seen here. So uh, that's that's my claim, and I'm sticking by it. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think for, for some of this stuff, particularly when it, when it comes to religion, this uh, this idea that, you know, we we want a, a strict line between what public schools are doing and, and to religious practice and belief. Americans are, are fairly, if not very comfortable with a large amount of, you know, religion in their public schools right now it may not be sort of more traditional forms of like christian uh practice and, and belief being espoused and, and particularly by authorities but when you ask questions about whether schools should be celebrating religious holidays whether it's hanukkah ramadan or um, christmas again majority support now the support for ramadan is significantly lower than hanukkah or christmas but still the majority supports that and I think it, it, it suggests that when it comes to like an all or nothing approach of you know, religion in, in, in public schools, the public is, is heavily on the all. So I sort of talk about it all. We asked about atheist clubs too. Majority of Americans said that yeah, it's fine for student run uh, atheist clubs uh, at, the, at the local high school. Uh, and again, it was this idea that you know, we'd rather have uh, and, and students be allowed to expose, expose to a variety of different religious ideas, beliefs, worldviews, theology, then none at all. Uh, and I think that's that's a pretty important lesson. 
So Nat, you mentioned critical race theory. If religion is the most enduring controversial topic in the the field of education, the, the idea of religion in schools, teaching about race in schools can't be that far behind. Your report asked about teaching about the history of racism. What what did you find there? Yeah, so you know it it's it, it's been a little bit of a struggle, right? So when you are going to talk about the legacy of racism in America, uh, again, cards on the table. I see this as a real thing. I I, I see it sometimes in the media as overprioritized, but as certainly an essential part of understanding our, our our culture and what should be part of schooling. So you know, my attitudes towards these things should be, you know, put out there before I discuss them. You know, we ask a, a, an array of questions, right? So let me put one on the board. Uh, do you think that we should teach about Japanese internment camp during World War II? And, you know, that receives a really high approval ratings. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's generally something that we should teach our, our students. And I could, on the one hand, say, well, you know, see, there is a legacy of our, our troubled racial past that we're willing to, to talk about. And that takes a value judgment about whether that is really a tough, a tough question. And we asked a, a, an array of these questions, and we saw a lot of support for, you know, whether we should learn about American founders being slave owners and, and a lot of those things that I would say are not necessarily like the cutting edge of race controversy, but sort of the things that most people would say, yeah, you know, slavery was the cause of the Civil War. These sorts of things uh, have a lot of support. Maybe a base that we can build on. And the question is whether we see these things as half empty or half full. When you come to more currently controversial subjects, and again, this is partly tautological, but whether critical race theory should be taught or, or, or banned, but specifically whether white privilege and that very concept should be taught, that's a, a more recent vintage. We find much lower support for that, and we find a substantial division over those things. You know, it's complicated, and you really have to make some pretty tough calls here to characterize it as sort of, you know, our, uh, our American uh, opinions about whether we're teaching uh, a legacy of racism in, in in this country sort of hinge on what you're willing to load onto that legacy of racism framework. That that takes a lot of work. The the thing that I'll see that I'll say that I think is plain is the most recent um, most controversial things that we've we've seen. And I'll just uh, a couple of names is critical race theory, the idea of white privilege, Black Lives Matter. Those are a, a little bit more. Um, more divisive and have less majority support. Dan, check me on this. Do you do you think I'm making sense? Am I underselling the the um, the agreement? No, I mean I, I think when my initial take on this was we're seeing a lot more consensus than I thought. I was I was explicitly thinking about or specifically thinking about these questions. Right? There's a there's a battery of say like four or so questions uh, that Nat mentioned, and we're seeing like it's not just majority agreement, it's overwhelming 80%, 90%. We're seeing cross-partisan support, cross-racial support for this stuff. Uh, and that, I think, was pretty extraordinary. And, and I think, it, again, when you look at that, those responses and the responses, other questions we talked about earlier, that Americans are largely supportive of schools instilling 
uh, love of country, right? The majority of Americans said that. It, it suggests that those things are not in, in opposition, at, at odds with one another, right? This, this idea that you, you can't be fully invested and love your country while at the same time sort of saying, hey, we had some really significant issues and really significant problems, and we still do, uh, suggests to me that, though, again, that that setup, that kind of oppositional stance where we, we suggest that, you know, to love your country is not to criticize it. I mean, I think that this survey suggests otherwise, that Americans believe that you can learn about these really difficult aspects um, and troubling aspects of our history and still sort of say, hey, you know, schools ought, ought, ought to also instill a love of country. And you can do both. Um, you, you don't have to choose one or the other. So your report has a lot of fascinating things that I'd love to get to, but this podcast does have a time limit. So I'm going to ask you one one more question before I let you go. The list of questions that a survey asks really depends on the timing of the survey. Looking ahead, what question from your report do you think will be most important to ask again at the end of this school year? Dan? That's a phenomenally good question. Uh, I'm going to sidestep it slightly. And well say, done. Well done. One, of, one of the things that we've made it through, you know, over an hour or, or roughly an hour here talking, and we're talking about controversies in public schools, and schools in general, and we haven't mentioned sex education, which I think is pretty notable, right? We, you know, there are so many other issues that have become really salient in this context. Um, you know, critical race theory, white privilege, uh, COVID, uh, you know, vaccination requirements, mass mandates, that, you know, one of the enduring public school controversies, sex ed, really didn't get a lot of airtime. And we talk about it in the report, but it's, it's also, we didn't see anything that was really, I think, incredibly notable, at least to me, Nat, maybe you disagree, like, basically, people think that sex ed should be taught. Um, parents generally trust uh, teachers to teach sex ed. And, and again, there's, there's some areas where there's not, you know, complete agreement on this stuff and there never will be, but by and large, yeah, it, it seems like this, the, the air has gone out of this issue, which is really interesting because again, a lot of these, the, the early battles uh, over textbooks and uh, in, in public schools and in school board meetings was about sex ed, sex ed was front and center. And so I think it's really interesting that, you know, so, so much of the conversation seems to have moved on from, from sex education. I will try to answer in terms of, you know, what I would like to see in a future survey. So for me, you know, one of the things that I would love to dig in more is just get a little more detail about what people think students, the kind of information students would be exposed to, right? The, the, the list is pretty much endless. And we tried to pick on things that were notable, right? There's some dispute about, I think not, not from academics, but in, in terms of like public dispute over whether slavery was the primary cause of the Civil War, right? I think most historians would say yes, but that that there's a debate over this. And so I think that's something that we wanted to ask. We wanted to ask about uh, these debates. And so I think there's any number of issues we, we could look at. We didn't look a lot at, at gender. I think we could do a lot more there. I would love to do more on religion, uh, particularly as we're seeing sort of evolving opinion on, on public prayer. But again, like what are the, what are the particular contexts 
where people feel more or less supportive, right? I mean, we asked one particular context with the coach leading Christian prayer, but what about if it's an, um, a Muslim coach, right? What, where are people going to line up there? I have some ideas, but I think it would be really interesting to tease some of those, those threads out. Nat, same question to you. What's a question that you didn't get to ask in your report that you would like to ask in a future survey? Or what's a question that you asked that you think would be really important to follow up on at the end of the school year? Yeah, I mean, just to echo what Dan said about sex ed, I mean, yeah, that controversy had a lot of the hard edges that I remember when I was in uh, high school, like four years ago. Um, Just kidding. It was much longer than that. That had much harder edges and just would have risen to the top of this frothy mixture. And yeah, we didn't really get to it that much. It's sort of been, what, digested by our culture and our public schools. So it's just, you know, it just doesn't rise to the top anymore. And that's interesting. So I'll just uh, sort of use that as a segue as I'm really interested in the vaccine mandates this week. Pfizer is pushing to get, you know, six to 12 year olds or six to 11 year olds an eligible emergency use vaccination. That's going to come. It's not going to be too long. And then the question is, what are we going to do about it? And how do those things change over time? Dan, we were talking like right up front on this about, well, to what degree is there just some normalization that happens? And so, yeah, in, in, in May, let's get the band back together. Dan, and see what happens to COVID vaccinations when we can say, all right, you know, now it's now you can get your five year old vaccinated. Uh, Do you think you should do it? Did you do it? And I also wonder if the pandemic recedes a little bit, if we get a lot more people who now have a little bit more room to be like, yeah, we did it. It was just it wasn't as big a deal as 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 we had, had made it. And I think that 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 question, you know, I, I, I sort of see that being the the likely path and I'd love to test it out. But it is interesting that a lot of the the questions and controversies that we sort of tackled on here did seem to have um you know a, a, an extra animating energy behind the ones where you know you sort of see it in the same kind of partisan debates that are really sort of shaping our our culture that in ways that we see reflected every day on the op-ed pages and on Twitter and just in the the media in general. And it it strikes me that there's an undercurrent in all these things that we're talking about, about what's really like a, a small C conservative institution, which is local public schools, the robust to a lot of that stuff. And so I just come out of this sort of uh, reminded about the value of, of, of community shared public schools and um, am, am glad to see that the American public hasn't abandoned their confidence in, in them. Yeah. Dan, is a fascinating report. Thanks for coming on the report card to talk to us about it. Thanks for having us on your show, Matt. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the report card with Nat Malkus, and special thanks to our guests, Nat Malkus and Dan Cox. I'd also like to thank my fellow producer, Wesley Armstrong. He makes this podcast possible. There are a lot of topics Nat and Dan cover in their new report that we weren't able to get to in today's episode. If you'd like to learn more, we'll include a link to the report in today's show notes. Remember, you can subscribe to the report card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, take a minute to leave us a review. It helps other folks find the show. As always, you can send your comments, questions, or topic suggestions to ed.podcast at aei.org. That's it for this episode. 
I'm Matt Rice.